0: It's me again, Angela Daly, your Rule of Law Rules podcast host, with the second episode of our new series on legal technology. A warm welcome back to our regular subscribers who joined us for our first series on digitalisation and data protection, and we also extend a very warm welcome to anyone joining us today for the first time. You've tuned in to the Rule of Law Rules podcast from the Conrad Adenauer Foundation, In this podcast, we talk to international experts about the rule of law in the age of digitalisation and we gain insights into recent developments in different parts of the world. After our first episode of this new series on legal technology, where we were in the Middle East, we are now travelling again, and this time back to Europe. We're delighted to welcome Nico Kuhlmann, who will tell us more about legal technology in his part of the world. So Nico is a German legal tech lawyer who is also an associate in Hogan Lovell's Hamburg office. He advises major technology companies in national and international disputes with a focus on intellectual property law. Nico is also responsible for some of Hogan Lovell's legal tech projects, including the Hamburg Legal Tech Meetup, the Hogan Lovell's Legal Tech Competition and the Hogan Lovell's Legal Tech Hackathon. So hi and welcome, Nico. Thanks very much for joining us. Hello,
1: and thank you very much for having me.
0: So we'd like to start and end our episodes with some quickfire questions to introduce you and your views on legal technology. I'll start a sentence and you can finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Legal technology is my favourite topic because...
1: Because it will play a big part in my professional life for the rest of my life, if I want it or not.
0: The first time I realised the importance of legal technology was?
1: That was after I heard a presentation about the topic and a lot of older male attorneys around me said that this computer thing won't have any influence on their profession. And that was the moment I realised that it definitely will have.
0: (laughs) And legal tech is not a new development for Europe because?
1: Because I would say that the roots of the topics we now discuss under the umbrella term legal tech go back decades, even before the term was coined.
0: Thanks very much. Very intriguing answers. So let's move to our longer questions and hopefully we can explore some of these themes a bit more. So firstly, can you tell us about how you started to work on legal tech?
1: Yes, sure. Eight years ago I was a young and promising PhD student and I spent some time in the United States at the Library of Congress in Washington DC. And during my month there I tried to get a glimpse of what is currently debated in the US and I saw more and more tech topics discussed in the law. But not only how law regulates tech but also what influence tech has on the law. And I was fascinated by this change of perspective. And then when I came back to Germany after my research visit, I tried to get more information about this development here in Germany. And I didn't find anything. There weren't any blogs back then. There weren't any conferences. There weren't any papers. The the, the term wasn't coined back then. Nobody in Germany was discussing this. And this was the moment I realized that this thing is here to stay, (laughs) that the digital transformation will play a part in my professional life and that not a lot of people have realized that back then and that so there's a lot of space for me to grow and since then uh, it's one of my favorite topics at all.
0: What about uh, the interim? Has legal technology become better known, either in Germany or in Europe more generally? What do people think it means if it is now better understood?
1: That's a very good question. At the beginning, when I talk at conferences or at universities, a lot of people haven't heard the term legal tech. But I would say nowadays, all lawyers, everyone who is active in the legal field, has heard the term once or twice or an article about it. But we have still no uh, agreed-on definition. Some people think about lawyer robots or something like that. And for others, it's only document automation or this kind of tools. But my understanding is that more and more people realize that it's actually an umbrella term for the digital transformation of law and that the developments we are discussing under this term has influence on every aspect of the legal life.
0: Well, actually, that leads us very nicely to the next question, which is what does this transformation actually look like at the moment, either in Germany or in Europe more generally, Is technology changing the legal industry and sector? Uh, What about technology and including artificial intelligence? uh, Do you think that is going to disrupt the legal industry, including judicial functions in the foreseeable future? Or is it actually going to support the sector and these functions that exist already?
1: I would say that technology obviously is changing the legal industry quite a lot. We could talk about a lot of aspects. I will just highlight one. Uh, I would say the job descriptions are changing. That doesn't mean that lawyers won't have a job anymore. To the contrary. But the existing jobs are changing every day a little bit. You, You have to work differently. And also new jobs will come up that haven't been there like 10 years ago. And of course there will be a few old jobs that probably won't be there anymore in a couple of years. So for the younger listeners here who are still at law school, be aware of that. The job description is changing and we have to keep up with that.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about how, what kind of changes are happening? So how are job descriptions changing? Do younger lawyers or new lawyers, do they need to have uh, knowledge of technology? Do they need to be able to use it? Can you tell us a bit more about some of these changes?
1: So on, on a very basic level, if you want to work in the legal sector, you have to be very good at researching. And back then, that means reading one or two books or reading a few a little bit of case law. But nowadays, you have so many great databases, which are quite complicated to use. But if you really want to go to the bottom of some research questions and even... If it's concerning research, it is not only law-related, but also related to the subject matter you are advising on. You really have to be able to use the computer and search engines and databases to the full extent to deliver the best job possible. And this is something for maybe older lawyers who grew up before these databases were available. It's something they never learned, really. And you have to be a very normal attitude to your computer and to use every available tool that's on that computer.
0: Do you think that there are some existing lawyers who are not well equipped to do this or are people having to train and retrain as their careers uh, progress?
1: I think we have to train and retrain our whole professional business life. And this is maybe that is a little bit new. I mean, in other professions that's normal that you have to keep up with the technology development of your industry. I think it's special that lawyer thing that they can be admitted uh, to the bar and then don't have to be up to date with technology anymore. I give you a very simple reason, a very simple example. I do a lot of a lot of cases I'm dealing with happen on the internet. And we all know that the internet is a fast-living place. I'm always very very shocked to hear that even good lawyers don't know the way back machine. The Wayback Machine is a project from the Internet Archive that saves websites which are not there anymore. So if I want to see how a certain website looked like a year ago or so, I can look it up there. It's very easy. It's very simple. And for my job, it's often very important. But I'm always afraid how many people don't know that and haven't been able to use this information which is freely available on the Internet.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think the Wayback Machine, which is a wonderful, amazing resource, the internet archive itself is amazing. uh, But arguably, it's not super sophisticated. So it's not, I guess, what we would think of perhaps as legal tech or robot lawyers. But if people are not even aware of it, and using that, well, it suggests that actual legal tech or more sophisticated legal tech may be very disruptive to some lawyers functioning.
1: That's my point exactly. We have to start with the basics and then we can move up. But if the basics are not in place, it's it's very difficult (laughs) to improve further than that. And on the other hand, I I, I like a development that's sometimes coined as uh, make legal tech boring again. It's always fascinating to talk about robots or artificial intelligence that can predict court cases or something like that. But it's often very far away, not really usable at the moment. But there's so much stuff out there that is usable today that would increase the the work product that lawyers create in a very substantial way. A lot of people don't know about it and don't use it. And I think for me, that is part of the whole discussion of how can we use digital tools as lawyers to do our job better.
0: Again, now leading to our next question, uh, you've mentioned some of the existing tools or the tools that exist that maybe lawyers need to know about and use more. Uh, Can you give us an overview of some of these tools and of the developments in legal tech in Europe and which countries do you think actually lead the way in terms of legal tech developments in Europe?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, so I'm based in Germany, so I can mainly talk about Germany. But of course, I try to keep up with the developments in other European countries. I'm not sure if I can say that one of these countries is especially leading. But of course, you hear a lot of good stuff coming out of the UK, especially when it comes to to new startups and new business ideas. There's a lot of going on on the island. It's very impressive. On the other side, for example, uh, at least as far as I know, Spain was the first country which had a university that offered a special legal tech degree for the law student. Which I think is amazing because we have to train the next generation in a way that they can do their job better in the digital era. And uh, this is also a job for the universities that they keep up with that. So kudos to Spain. And then... What I see was very promising is, especially in the Eastern countries of Europe, which are bigger but less populated. And then probably there are less attorneys available in the countryside. I see a lot of great projects for self-help tools on the Internet and, and stuff like that. So I would say there's a lot of going on everywhere in Europe, but probably maybe the UK is a little bit ahead.
0: I'm sure those of us in the UK will be very pleased to hear that. Um, But what I get um, from what you're saying, too, is that perhaps some of the legal tech solutions and services may depend a bit on the national context or, you know, depending on which country in Europe and what kinds of legal services are available and maybe the market demographics. Do you think that's a fair comment?
1: Definitely. Definitely. I mean, the the developments always happen in the framework of the local market. And this has one side of the economic framework. So where can you earn money? uh, But also of the legal framework, what is allowed in your country, where are the needs, what are the, the chambers say about everything? So it's very different from country to country.
0: Actually, on that topic of what is allowed, as we many of us will know, the legal profession, um, the judiciary are kind of highly regulated activities in most jurisdictions. If legal tech is being used by them, how are these regulatory environments responding to legal tech? Is it something that is being governed specifically or regulated specifically? Is it banned? Um, how are kind of national legal frameworks, which regulate the legal profession and the judiciary, how are they responding to um, these new technological tools?
1: So um, here in Germany, we have no legal tech act or something like that. So nothing that is regulating this uh, field of law in a comprehensive way. But of course, we have laws uh, that govern certain aspects of legal technology. I, as an attorney, I can use more or less all the technology that is available for me, and I can give advice to my clients whatever way I see fit. But of course, if non-lawyers, non-attorneys are offering tools to people out there to use themselves, there's always the question that is allowed. So to phrase it very simple. In Germany we have a law that says only attorneys are allowed to provide legal services. Then of course the question is, what is a legal service? I'll give you an example. We have one very nice tool in Germany, it's called Smart Law. It's basically a website where everybody can customize their own contracts. Um, So for example, if I want to sell my used car, uh, I can go there and then there is some kind of a, a dialogue mechanism, I have to answer a few questions, how old is the car? Is did I smoke in there stuff like that? And then I press enter, and uh, the website will automatically put together a contract with the relevant clauses that I can use. The question is is that a legal service? Some people will say definitely, (laughs) it's a legal need and it's met, so it's a legal service. A lot of other people say no, that it's basically like a self help book you can buy in every bookstore. So, where's the difference to that? The answer is. We don't know yet. We have one court ruling in Germany that says it is a legal service. Um, The next instance said, no, it's not a legal service. And now the case is in front of the uh, German Federal Court of Justice, and we will hear from them soon. And we are all looking forward uh, to know more about where the limitations of legal services are in Germany and what kind of legal tech offers you are allowed to offer under the current regime.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. And I guess a very important decision when it does come out that we should watch out for in other countries as well. Because I think this is an issue that many jurisdictions are grappling with. One of the things that Legal Tech can do or is said to be able to do is try to address some access to justice issues What is your view on that? Do you think the use of legal tech in Europe is addressing access to justice issues or is it causing new access to justice issues?
1: The digitization of law will have great impact on that, what we are discussing under the term access to justice. So when we talk about access to justice, we we not only mean access to courts or access to attorneys, But we mean like an active participation of the legal system that that the rights the legislator put into an act are actually used by the people out there. And I think we see a lot of great examples, like the one example I mentioned already, smart law or other companies that provide help by enforcing rights or by claiming compensation or all these smaller claims that uh, haven't been brought forward uh, before it was possible to automate and to scale these kind of tools. So I think for all these unmet legal needs who are out there, legal tech will be a great tool to meet a lot of them, probably not all of them, but uh, it will play an important role of decreasing the access to justice gap. Having said that... I want to add that access to justice is, in my view, a two-sided coin. Mostly we talk about people getting more than they had before or uh, it's easier to um, enforce their rights or getting compensation and stuff like that. That's important. But there's always the other side, that people are technically forced to obey the rules as well. So I, for example, I have a right uh, not being harmed And in Germany, one of the laws that tries to protect my right is a speed limit on the streets. Um, You're not allowed to drive as fast as you want. Legally, technically, you can drive as fast as you want. So a question I always ask uh, people to, to challenge their view of the current development is why actually can cars drive faster than legally allowed in the 21st century? I mean, the cars know... Where they are. They probably know the speed limit. It's not very complicated to uh, program in that they are technically not drive faster than it would be legally allowed. Of course that would be something that the driver probably would not like and it would decrease the freedom the driver has but it would maybe increase the freedom and the safety other people have. So if we talk about how legal technology increases the participation in the legal sector, we also have to ask ourselves what it means to obligations and how technology can or should be used uh, to enforce them.
0: I think that's a very important point and one which is really understudied, I would say, from an academic perspective, uh, which is what are the losses when we automate law to an extent that it is perfectly or almost perfectly enforced? Because I think as you hinted at there's quite a bit of illegality that is tolerated even in many of our jurisdictions and societies where there's generally a very kind of uh, great respect for rule of law. I think very good example that you made about uh, speed limits but even if we think about under Covid restrictions at least where I am uh, they've not always been enforced you know perfectly and I think if they were many people would actually find that very difficult and burdensome. So I Think it's really interesting. It's an interesting point that I think we need to kind of discuss and explore more uh, from a number of perspectives. That you know, legal tech can help with accessing justice and enforcing laws, but the the flip side to that, as you mentioned, it may not be socially desirable as well. (laughs) Uh, But certainly, a, a very good point. So, I mean, another side of legal tech that I'm interested in exploring a bit is uh, who actually funds legal tech and who is behind legal tech. So many legal tech startups are actually supported by private equity funding. Uh, What do you think about that? And do you think that also has an impact on how legal tech is being used and for what purposes?
1: I would say that the private funding of legal tech startups are not an obstacle to using legal tech to resolve access to justice issues. I mean, we live in a capitalist society and, and most of the stuff out there and and we have is there because of capitalist structures and it mostly works. I mean, we could discuss where it's not working, but I would say that all the unmet legal needs out there who are somehow connected to the possibility of earning money will be served by some startup with some private equity funding in the back. I think the question we should ask ourselves is where does this dynamic not work? So where are there legal needs that should be met but where no money can be earned? And how can the regulator be proactive to try to close even that gap? So I would say that legal tech, can solve a lot of equity justice issue when there is money involved. But the question we should ask us as a society is what can we do to solve the other issues as well when no money is involved?
0: Do you have any examples that come to mind of some of these problems that perhaps are less lucrative or profitable, but which maybe could be solved or assisted by legal tech?
1: Probably there aren't so many because... When you now are able to automate more and more and scale your offer more and more, you can meet needs where only very few money is involved. Um, I mean, back then, lawyers tried to have clients who have deep pockets to to pay their bills and a lot of small claims were not lucrative enough to deal with them because it wouldn't be... um, Financially sane to do that, uh, but now if you can automate stuff, it's it's more and more easy to provide help to people with very small claims more and more, and so I would say that it will be able to to meet a lot of needs.
0: That's very good and reassuring to hear. <laughs> um, just going back a little bit to lawyers themselves and judges, what do you think about legal technology or legal tech? and its interaction with their traditional or your traditional roles and also professional ethical obligations. Do you think that legal tech is disrupting this? Or is it actually making it easier in some ways for lawyers and the judiciary to fulfill their traditional roles and obligations?
1: I don't think that legal tech will have significantly impact on ethical obligations The ethical obligations of of lawyers and and judges are quite old and have uh, stand the test of time, I would say. But I think one obligation we have as a profession is to keep up to date with technology and to, to try every day to do the best possible work. And in a digitized world, doing the best possible work means to have a general understanding how technology works. And this is something maybe the so-called digital natives will have by themselves because they grew up with a smartphone. But nonetheless, I think universities as well as association of lawyers have to make sure that they are up to date with the possible use of all available tools. And I think maybe we will see some cases against lawyers when they gave bad advice and then it came out that they didn't use all the tools available and all the research possibilities they had. So I would say the ethical obligations are the same, but how we meet these obligations maybe changes because we have to be up to date to everything.
0: Very good reason for lawyers and judges to keep up to date then with uh, technological developments. On that note, what do you think the future of legal tech activities are going to be in Germany and Europe over the next few years? And how important do you think these developments are going to be?
1: I think we will not see like a big bang moment where something amazing happens and everything changes after that. Um, I'm often under the impression that people are waiting for this kind of moment in the legal tech world. I don't think that will happen. What I think will happen is that we see more and more small developments and all these developments combined will change the way of life and the way of doing business and the way to participate as a legal person over the next years more and more. I, I, I sometimes compare that to the invention of the smartphone and the apps. Well, when the iPhone was presented, it was, was nice, it was great, but nobody had the slightest idea what it will mean 10 years down the road. And then all these new apps started coming in and we had Facebook and WhatsApp and other apps. And now most of our daily life is based on this little smartphone device in our pocket. And this has changed the way we live, we communicate, we buy, we sell, uh, we meet friends, we meet new people. And I would compare this to how I see the legal world and the legal startup world in the next 10 years. A lot of small stuff will happen, a lot of small apps will come. Uh, nobody will see them on the front page of the newspaper, probably at the beginning. But in some, and over time, it will change drastically how we live and uh, how we participate uh, in the legal framework of our countries.
0: Something definitely to uh, look forward to, or at least uh, look out for. It be very interesting to see how things develop. So thanks, Nico. Now to finish, I've got three more quick questions for you. I will start the sentence and you can finish it. Technology alone does not lead to more or better access to justice because...
1: It's still a question how people can use and utilise these tools.
0: Legal tech is still risky because...
1: Because sometimes we like to highlight the advantages but overlook the disadvantages.
0: And finally... The rule of law rules because
1: it's simply the best.
0: Thank you very much for joining us today, Nico.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: So this was the second episode of the second series of the rule of law rules podcast with me, Angela Daly and our guest, Nico Kuhlman. In the show notes, you can find out more about Nico, links to his activities and more information about the Conrad Adenauer Foundation and its Rule of Law programme, which this podcast is part of. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel where we will release new Rule of Law Rules episodes at the end of every month. If you liked this episode, then please give us a good rating and tell your data log geek friends about us too. I hope you've enjoyed our podcast. See you next time.